I'll actually read it as we go. It's a longer passage. I'll read as we go. So let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask now as we turn our attention to your word that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us understanding and insight into it, that we might know you better. Would you speak to us through your word, that you might change us and transform us into the likeness of Christ, that we would submit ourselves to him completely. Would you use these words to do so? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you, when you have some project or plan that you want to accomplish, put together an outline or a blueprint? It's a skeleton of what you plan to do, whether it involves planning out your your weekly schedule, or involves doing a project in your home, or if you plan to build something, or students, if you're writing a paper, or you're teaching a class, or you're conducting a practice, we put together a game plan. We put together a, a roadmap or an outline or a blueprint, a, a skeleton form of our plan, so we know where we're going and what we actually are doing and what we seek to accomplish before moving forward, before we fill out the details from there. I, I do this every week. I put together an outline of the passage before I begin writing the sermon. It gives me a general direction. It gives me a, a framework that helps before I fill in the details and illustrate it and apply it. Outlines and blueprints give us structure. They don't provide all the details, but only that which is essential for our purposes and our plans. Well, in our passage today, we are given an outline of history. Through this dream, we are going to be given God's plan, God's outline of what will come for these human kings and kingdoms, and then for God's kingdom. As we pick up from last week, you recall that Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams. that They caused him trouble, they caused him anxiety and restlessness, and he demanded that his wise men make known to him his dreams, his dream and the meaning of his dream. In their conversation, we learned there's a great threat of punishment if they were unable to do so they would be torn from limb to limb. They told the king that what he was asking of them was impossible. No one could do such a thing except the gods, whose dwelling was not with people. And so a decree goes out, he sends out this decree, that all the wise men of Babylon are going to be destroyed. Now Daniel, he gets word of this, as Arioch, the executioner, is seeking Daniel and his life and his friends as well, because they were considered wise men, having been in training for the king's court. So Daniel then, he asks for time, he requests to, he's granted this request. He then goes to his house, tells his friends about this, and and seeks them out that they might pray, and they might seek the Lord and his mercy concerning this mystery. God then reveals the mystery of the dream and its interpretation to Daniel, And he praises God because of it. We learn that God is the revealer of mysteries. He is the one who changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, and he reveals deep and hidden things. There is, we learned last week, there is none like God. There is no one like our God. Daniel's God, our God, does the impossible. 
and the dream still wasn't told. We still didn't know the dream, right? I left you in suspense. We, so we stopped at that point. And now we pick up with the content of the dream, the meaning of the dream, and the response to the dream. So first, the content of the dream. We're going to see this in verses 24 through 35. Uh, but look with me first at 24 through 30. 24 through 30. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered and said, answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be, known to the, may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel, he goes to Arioch and tells him to bring him before the king because he can show the interpretation of the dream. Arioch does that, and he brings him in with haste, which is interesting, right? It appears that this executioner really doesn't want to go through with destroying all the wise men in Babylon. Arioch then seems to take credit because he found a man who can make known the meaning of the dream. The king then asks Daniel if he can make the dream and the meaning known to him, to which Daniel reply, replies, and we see his wisdom here. We see his evangelistic efforts and his acknowledgement of who ultimately should get credit for making known the mystery. Daniel draws our attention to God, who reveals mysteries. Verse 27, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. In case you forgot, king, right? In case you forgot, no one can make known to you the mystery of your dream. No one can make known the dream and its meaning. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And God has made known to the king what will be in the latter days, the last days. Now, there is a lot of significance in this, packed in that phrase, the latter days, or the last days. And it doesn't just mean end times. Okay, so this phrase, this term, the latter days, it doesn't just mean end times, which is often how people take it, right? They refer, they refer to some thing way in the distant future, as though those are the latter days. And as we, we're going to see in, the, in the, these verses in the, next, in the meaning of the dream, that that's not what's going on here. Verse 29, 
To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. So after this and what is to be the the latter days, God has revealed to Nebuchadnezzar. The latter days, the, the last days, refers to the future, which could refer to the close future or the distant future or both. This phrase corresponds uh, to the phrase in the New Testament, the last days. In fulfillment of Joel, with the ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.17, here's what we read. And in, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit. And that's what they were witnesses to at Pentecost. 2,000 years ago. 2 Timothy 3.2, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, and that was present, that was the present time for Paul and Timothy. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So, back in our passage, back in our passage, Daniel gives credit to God, which then leads to an explanation of this dream. Okay, so I've kept you in suspense long enough. Look with me now at 31 through 35, and we get a clear picture of the content of the dream. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What was hidden is now revealed. What was in the dark is now brought to light. What was in secret is now exposed. What only God knew, what only Nebuchadnezzar knew, and now what only Daniel came to know, is now told so the audience of this book would be brought into the story. To know what would come in the latter days. So that the people of God, right, the people of God might be assured, they might be strengthened as they lived under foreign rule in a pagan land in a hostile world, that they might remain faithful to God while they lived under foreign rule. So so here's the dream. It's pretty clear, right? It's pretty straightforward. Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream of of a great image. It's a huge, shining statue. It's a large image, exceedingly bright, and it's a frightening sight. So, So consider several observations that we can make of this statue. The statue consists of various pieces of metal, various metal, Daniel describes the image. He goes from head to toe. And as you move down the image, 
the medals decrease in value, but if you stop at the ankles, they increase in strength. Right? So as a head of gold, the chest and arms are silver. Right? You can picture the statue like this. Chest and arms are silver. The, the stomach and thighs are bronze. Its legs are iron with feet being partly iron and partly clay. That's the statue. And then something outside of this statue appears. It's a stone cut out without human hands. And this stone, it it struck the statue at the feet and it broke it to pieces. This supernatural rock, this strikes the statue and it smashes the image at its base at its most vulnerable place and it brings it crashing down and it shatters the image. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and they became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor and the wind, what does the wind do? It carries it away so that not a trace of them could be found. It's gone. What is left is the stone. This rock which struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's the content of the dream. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar is is restless and startled and desires to know what the dream meant. And that's what we discover in verses 36 through 45. Okay, so we see the meaning of the dream. Look with me at 36 through 45, the meaning of the dream. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Okay, so now Daniel explains the meaning of the dream. He tells the king its interpretation. But before he does so, Daniel, again, he gives credit to God for the rule of Nebuchadnezzar as king. 
as he alludes to imagery of Genesis 1 and 2 and, and Psalm 8, ruling over the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, right? Right from Psalm 8 and Genesis 1 and 2. And then Daniel gives the interpretation. As we observe the, the meaning of the dream as a whole, we recognize that each part of the statue, right? Each part and the metal, it represents kingdoms. Successive kingdoms that would come in the days of and after the days of King Nebuchadnezzar. The image represents the rise and fall of four successive Gentile world kingdoms, human kingdoms, with the kingdom of God breaking into human history and bringing all earthly kingdoms to an end, with the kingdom of God growing and lasting forever. Let me say that again. The image, it represents the rise and fall of four successive Gentile world kingdoms, human kingdoms, with the kingdom of God then breaking into human history and bringing all earthly kingdoms to an end, with the kingdom of God then growing, growing and lasting forever. And so... Daniel begins with the head of gold and says that Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, right? So here's the head, it's the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. The Babylonian empire, the Babylonian kingdom is this, as he represents them, is the head of gold. And then in verses 39 through 43, Daniel reveals there will be kingdoms that will rise, arise after him. The second kingdom beneath Nebuchadnezzar or inferior to him there's a third kingdom that shall rule over the world, over the earth. Then the fourth kingdom, which he spends the most time developing here and describing, which is strong like iron, and it, but it, and it breaks and shatters and crushes others. It's also a divided kingdom. Like the mixing of iron and clay, they don't mix. This kingdom won't hold together. It's partly strong and partly brittle. So we have a succession of kingdoms, after Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. Now, what's all this mean? What were these kingdoms? We need to recognize that all of this was future for Daniel and in Daniel's day. All of it was future in Daniel's day. He is prophesying about what is to come. God has given him an outline of his plan now, with that being said, we can look back into history, right, and are given greater clarity as we, as we see God's promises come to pass in history. We can have confidence in God's plan because of what, what he has said would happen. It would come true. Now, with that being said, there, there's much debate over this. It really comes down to two options with some variation in the second option. So I just want to say from the outset, all right, hear me clearly this morning, this is not crystal clear, okay, as some would like to believe. So two main camps, two main camps. Everyone agrees that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. It's a Babylonian empire. Where scholars differ, and maybe where we differ in this room begins with the identification of the second kingdom, 
which then impacts the third kingdom and the fourth kingdom. So some people hold to what's called the Greek view. The Greek view. In other words, the fourth kingdom is Greece. In this view, the Greek view, the, the gold head, the first kingdom is, is Babylon, represented by King Nebuchadnezzar. The silver chest and arms, the second kingdom arises after Nebuchadnezzar would be the Medes. The bronze stomach and thighs, the third kingdom after them would refer to Persia and King Cyrus. And iron legs with feet consisting of iron and clay, the fourth kingdom would refer to Greece, beginning with the reign and rule of Alexander the Great, which if you know history, Alexander the Great and all that he did, and which, which ends in history of intermarriages between dynasties succeeding Alexander. The stone, the, the rock, is Christ and God's kingdom that would be established at some point after the fall of Greece. That's one option. There's actually a lot to commend to this, especially as you put the pieces together with the later chapters in Daniel 7 through 12. Another option is the Roman view, which is where I tend to lean at this point. The Roman view. So first, the, the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom. That's the first kingdom. The second kingdom, the chest and armor of silver, arms of silver, the second kingdom, inferior to the first, is the Medo-Persian Empire. Right? This followed the Babylonians. It's a combination of the Medes and the Persians. From history, Babylon was conquered in 539 B.C. Okay? The Medes and the Persians, they align themselves together. They, they form a coalition, and they conquer Babylon under King Cyrus. We're going to see this in Daniel. We're going to see this in the book. They would rule for about 200 years from 539 to 331 B.C. And then we come to the belly and the thighs. Belly and thighs of bronze, the third kingdom which would rule over the known world, is Greece, the, the Greek empire under Alexander the Great. So in this view, right, we're putting Medes and Persians together in second kingdom, and now the third kingdom then being the Greeks. In 332 B.C., so here's your history lesson, Alexander defeated the Medo-Persian Empire in a series of decisive battles. His empire lasted from 331 to 146 BC. The legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay refers to Rome, right? So this is where it's called the Roman view. This fourth empire, this fourth kingdom refers to the Roman Empire, which dominated the world from about 146 BC to 400 AD. What's interesting is that Rome was never actually conquered. It simply collapsed. Did you guys realize that? It simply collapsed. And it would be during this Roman Empire that Christ would come. The stone is Christ. It is the kingdom of God established at the first coming of Christ, reaching its ultimate fulfillment at the second coming of Christ. Now, as a side note, there is also debate and disagreement over the feet and toes. Okay, there's debate, there's disagreement, perhaps even in this room. I would suggest that this is part of the kingdom referred to in the legs. Some scholars believe that the feet 
and toes represent a revived Rome in the distant future. With ten toes representing ten kings, a confederation of ten nations in the last days prior to Christ's return. This would be a rebirth, a revival of the old Roman Empire. Now, however you take this, it's not, let me make this clear, it is not entirely clear. It might be fun to speculate, but it's not actually the point of the text for us to to figure it all out, okay? I don't know how much time I spent this week trying to figure this out. And let me just tell you, it's not the point of the text to figure it all out. I spent countless hours sleeping, thinking about these things, like just over and over. Uh, Here's what Daniel wants you to know, okay? Verses 44 and 45. This is the point. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. The stone cut from a mountain by no human hand represents the kingdom of God. Jesus is that stone. That's the point. God will set up a kingdom that will last forever. It will never be destroyed. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he arrived in the days of this Roman Empire 600 years after this prophecy. And of Jesus, right? I was thinking of Christmas this morning. It's just perfect. Of Jesus, it was said concerning his birth, Luke 1, 32 and 33, he will be great. It will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. When Jesus started preaching about 30 years after his birth, here are the words that come out of his mouth. This is perhaps the first words that we have of Jesus when he speaks coming out of his mouth. Here's what he says when he's preaching. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus speaking, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's in your midst. The kingdom of God, God's saving rule, his saving reign was ushered in already in the person and work of Jesus Christ at his first coming, but not yet in its fullness. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of God is like a small rock It's like a small rock cut out from a mountain. 
And it brings to an end all other human kingdoms, collapsing them to the ground. And the kingdom of God under Christ Jesus starts out as a small stone and it grows into a mountain and fills the whole earth. Remarkable. The stone is Christ and his kingdom. 1 Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, who? Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. You, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in your sight. So, what does all this mean for you? Why does this matter? This is an outline of history. Here is a blueprint of history that you can be confident in God's plan regardless of the challenges that you face in your life or that you observe are happening in other people's lives. As seasons change, as human kingdoms rise and fall, there is one king and one kingdom that will last forever. Jesus shall reign forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end, and it demands a response. So third and finally, the response to the dream, right? This demands a response. When you get good news about something, whether it's a good medical report or a job promotion or you hear about the success of someone that you love and and care about, how do you respond? How do people respond when they hear good news? Well, it was good news for Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel was able to tell him the content and meaning of his dream. And in verses 46 through 49, we are given a glimpse of this response. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. A surprising response takes place from this Gentile pagan king. Nebuchadnezzar falls flat on his face before Daniel. The king falls down and worships. That doesn't happen. Kings don't bow down to anyone. They demand that people bow down to them. But this king is humbled. By an outline of history and by the revealer of mysteries. He falls down and worships the servant of God. He gives orders to present an offering and 
incense to him, and he confesses to Daniel, truly, your God, your God is God of gods, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. He confesses that Daniel's God is the greatest of all gods. Though he's not yet converted, he has begun a journey to confessing Daniel's God above all others. The king then promotes Daniel and gives him many generous gifts. He makes Daniel the ruler of the whole province. He makes him the, the chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel then requests that his friends be, be promoted as well. He appoints them to, to, be manage, to manage the province to which the king agrees while Daniel remains at the king's court. God has made himself known and his plans known through Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar so that he would know that the God of heaven would establish his kingdom, that he alone is the one true God and king who alone is worthy of worship. There is a kingdom that is greater than Babylon. And you should want to be in that kingdom. What could be considered a warning also becomes an invitation. It's an invitation for us right, as we are asked, what is going to be our response to the dream? Will we respond like Nebuchadnezzar? by falling down before Jesus and worshiping him who will reign forever and ever. Jesus is the stone, and anyone who falls on him will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Matthew 24, 21, 44. But the one who falls down before him and worships him, will be included and be a part of God's kingdom that will last forever. He was the stone that the builders rejected. He died on the cross. He suffered in our place. And he rose again on the third day as Savior, as Lord over all. He now rules and reigns as he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. May we confess Jesus as King and Lord he alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy of sitting on the throne of your life. He alone is worthy for your heart to bow to him, for you to bow your hearts to him. So that's the first response, right? Fall down before Jesus. Praise him. Give your life to Jesus. Let him be seated on the throne of your heart and life. You can be a part of this kingdom, of the kingdom of God today, right? That's the invitation. You can be a part of the kingdom of God today if you would repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number two, seek God's kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The fact that Christ rules, think about this for a moment. The fact that Christ rules and reigns that all earthly kingdoms, all human kingdoms and human empires will come to an end. 
serves as a reminder to not devote ourselves, our time and energy into establishing our own little kingdoms, but instead to seek first the kingdom of God in the work that you do, in your spare time. Prioritize God's kingdom in the way that you do those things, in the way that you spend your time, your energy, and your effort. Put God first in the things that you do in your life on a daily basis. Right? We can all do that. Seek to honor him at work, at home, in public, in private, in the classroom, in the field, in the store, on the court. And then lastly, make disciples. Make disciples. Spread the message of the kingdom of God, right? That's a call for all of us. Spread the message of the kingdom of God. Tell others about the saving rule and reign of God. Do you realize, do you realize that you're a part of this story? Did you catch that? You're actually a part of this story. You're, you are a part of this plan. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a Christian here this morning, you became part of the kingdom of God, which is growing into a mountain. God's kingdom is expanding through faithful followers of Jesus. Jesus declared in Matthew 28, after his death and resurrection, he declared this. I think this part's often missed in the Great Commission. Here's what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Meaning, he's the king, he's the Lord, he's in charge. Then comes this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What happened in the book of Acts? The believers, the followers of Jesus, made it their aim, their goal, their mission to make disciples as they bore witness to the saving work of Christ. And as a result, the kingdom of God advanced from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. The good news of the kingdom of God made it to us. It made it to us. And we have come to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as our King. Let's continue on this mission of making Christ known. Let's tell others of the good news of God's saving rule and reign so they can join us and be a part of this kingdom, be a part of the kingdom of God that will fill the earth and it will last forever. He alone, Jesus alone, is worthy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for this outline of history, this blueprint, that human kingdoms, earthly kingdoms come and fall and they rise and fall. But your kingdom lasts forever. It will not be handed over to another. We give you thanks that Christ has come. That he died on the cross and rose again. And 
now sits at your right hand on the throne, ruling and reigning and ever living to intercede for us. We give you thanks that he is king of kings and lord of lords and he is coming again. When we will see this kingdom fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We give you thanks that he will rule and reign and I pray that you would help each of us trust in Jesus more. I pray that he would rule and reign in our lives and in our hearts, that we would submit to him, that we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting in him alone to save us. Might we confess that he is Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and worship.